I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Failed Critics Podcast, focused entirely on another film festival. I'm Owen Hughes, and you needn't worry, I won't be on my own for the entire duration. There will be other guests along shortly. Uh, Late last week I caught up with Callum, who was able to round up some of the big hitters from this year's BFI London Film Festival, as well as a few projects that may not have garnered such a mainstream audience yet. This week it was the turn of the longest-running film festival in the UK, the 36th Cambridge Film Festival, which, over the course of eight days, from the 20th to the 27th of October, is showing a whopping total of 146 films across six venues, uh, including the Arts Picture House and the brilliantly named Cinemobile, uh, an 18-wheel, 36-tonne lorry, which, at the push of a button, transforms into a fully equipped, temperature-controlled, 100-seat cinema. You have no idea how badly I want one of those for myself. Uh, We covered a few films from the Cambridge Film Festival last year from the comfort of our own homes, I might add, including the documentaries Starmen, The Visit, Welcome to Leith, amongst other films like the low-key indie French crime drama Cruel. Unfortunately, we all missed out on attending the prestigious event in person again this year, uh, where the likes of the highly anticipated Korean films The Handmaiden and Last Train to Busan were shown, uh, along with Clint Eastwood's latest Sully, starring Tom Hanks as the pilot who landed the US Airlines flight on the Hudson River in 2009, not to mention Jim Jamush's Paterson, Ken Loach's I, Daniel Blake, and The Light Between Oceans, which is the new film from Derek Sianfrance, starring Alicia Vikander and uh, Michael Fassbender, which I am Still very much looking forward to. I love that guy's films. But more in keeping with the spirit of the festival, which is committed to delivering the very best in independent international cinema, uh, we once again viewed some of the weird and wonderful pictures that were on show. And to help me do this, I invited both Liam and Andy back onto Failed Critics, our very own international film buffs who you may remember from our World Cinema special podcast back in January this year. Uh, Together we watched films from as far afield as Romania and Greece to Ecuador and Colombia. So without further ado, 
Let's see what Andy and Liam had to say. So hello again, Liam, Andy. It's good to have you both back on the podcast after a, a bit of a break for you. Yeah, great to yeah. be back. As in together, because you were both, I mean, and Liam, you've been on a couple of times, but the last time you were here together was the, the World Cinema podcast we did earlier in the year. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. So um, we've got a few films that we are going to talk about, which are coming up in the Cambridge Film Festival. They're about to happen, like post release of this podcast. And then after that, we've got a couple of films as well that we have seen that have already screened, but we're going to just sort of give reviews of them. Do we need to caveat that we are being honest so people should not expect us to just give completely glowing reviews of everything? I don't think so. Surely people must expect that. You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, they've heard this before. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. So um, I'm sure your sunny dispositions that you, you know, you're glowing with... Um, <laughs> is uh is coming through wonderfully so uh <laughs> so i think the first first place we'll start with is one of the, the more positive reactions um that we've had to some of these films and we'll, we'll begin with cloudy sunday which i think you have seen liam that's right yeah. yeah yeah so it's showing in the arts picture house on wednesday the 26th at 4 p.m it's a, a film from greece Greek with English subtitles, I think they've labelled it as. It's 116 minutes, directed by... <laughs> I'm glad you all said it on me, yeah. Manusakis. Manusakis. Yeah, right. Probably. That's probably completely incorrect. And stars Christina Hiller, Fermeli Harris, Fragulis, Andreas, Constant... It's got lots of people in it. So, um, Liam, why didn't you lead us through Clearly Sunday? How was it? I actually really enjoyed this. wasn't really quite expecting what I got. Um, it's another war film. It's about uh, the German invasion of um, and gradual sort of tightening of the grip of Thessalonica in 1943. It's got the, the same sort of pace that you expect from these sort of films, but it's done rather nicely. It's got a bit of a twist on it in that its its main theme really is of a love story between Jorgis, who's a carpenter by trade, but is very much involved in the resistance movement um, in organising that and trying to do the best he can to to get rid of the Germans, basically. <laughs> and um, as part of his work uh, for the resistance, he's given responsibility for taking down radio messages. Right. It's in like a basement of his carpentry shop. And he's assigned a young Jewish girl to act as... A stenographer as he reads out the messages that are coming through as the story goes on they start to have feelings for each other and fall in love obviously there's huge difficulties because of well she's jewish and um, obviously the germans are not overly keen on them, <laughs> sort of you're never quite sure um, with the the rabbi that um, is sort of the leader of the not only as you know only spiritually but seems to be a community leader as well he starts, as the Germans sort of drip feed bits of poison in and start to tighten things, you know, uh, please, you know, congregate. All Jewish men, sort of 18 to 14, must congregate in the square just for just for registration purposes, nothing sinister, you know, all this. It slowly starts to build in that way. It's hard to tell whether he is being honest and genuinely believes what he says in telling people that 
uh, no, there's nothing sinister in this. We're just being monitored. Don't worry. It's only this. It's only that. Or if there's a kind of get this as a more cynical view to it. Not that he's in any way collaborating. It's more that he's sort of pacifying somehow, you know? Sure. So, mm-hmm. Sort of, um, it's wrong to use the word sort of lapdog to the Nazis, but he's isn't as antagonistic as he should be, basically. Uh, but again, like I say, it could well be that he's he's just trying not to cause panic. And neither say the thing, as things progress, the, the Nazis slowly tighten the grip. Um, you know, they're prevented from... Um, their businesses are slowly closed down. The mm-hmm. men are slowly, um, occasionally taken off for forced labour. They're just going to do this. They'll be back, don't worry. Um, all the time, this um, uh, Yorgos is... Uh, running his um, resistance operations and slowly uh, worming his way in. He gets a commission from them to build 50 cabinets for the soldiers. Then he gets another commission that actually has to work inside the headquarters of the the German administration. And it builds from there. As the film progresses, the the love story grows ever closer. She is being promised by father is arranging a marriage for her within their own community. As it's seen that, that the Germans will treat married couples better than they will single people so she's promised off to another one and needless say she's not very happy and they start hatching plans to try and run away together it's a really nice story i'd hate to drop spoilers in too much because um it's an upcoming one and it's certainly worth very very much worth seeing it's got a good plot it moves along at a very good pace and there's a decent twist towards the end that's definitely worth seeing i think i'll leave it there because I don't want to drop in too many spoilers. It's a very good film. Certainly one, one that would be on my list uh, well, to be actually attending the cinemas. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that one. Fantastic. I mean, it says here that it's a well-made melodrama that highlights a seldom-told part of war. Do you think that sounds kind of fair? Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, the, just, the love story that comes through it um, is the main drive of it. Yes, the, the occupation and... The Nazis tightening their grip mm-hmm. is certainly the you know the, the background to it all, and it allows him more access to see what exactly what they are doing inside their headquarters as he's forced to do work for them in there, carpentry work in there for him. Mm-hmm. So he runs many many risks, just about escapes with his life a few times, uh, trying to you know espionage and trying to get the Germans out. She runs her own risks in that she will go to areas where she's not strictly supposed to be in order to act as stenographer or just to meet him. Um, It's a very nice love story uh, in a horrible setting, thoroughly well acted. The German governor who takes over is suitably vile. Yeah, very good film, very pleased pleased I've seen it, and uh, it would be good to see on a big screen, I think, as well, because some of the settings are very good, so Mm -hmm. very nice looking, so... Yeah, I'd definitely make sure you see that one if you're going to the festival. Fantastic. So, I mean, what basically, that's that's on at 4pm on the Wednesday. You could, in theory, go just stay in the cinema and watch Wonderland, which is on straight after at 5.30, which I think is one that you've seen, Andy. It is. Mm. Are, are you going to run through the directors and cast? Uh, no, because I've looked at the list and it is uh, long. It's a long <laughs> list of names. The overall premise is that out of nowhere, a large storm cloud rises over central Switzerland and gradually, quite quickly, uh, expands until it reaches the borders of Switzerland and then it suddenly stops there. 
So it's only Switzerland that's affected by this impending massive storm. And these 10 directors have, have chosen slightly different themes, characters, settings to try and display how people would react in this situation. It does sound really interesting, actually. It does. I mean, it seems like it's got scope for lots of creativity and different sorts of stories. Too many, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> um, right, okay. Yeah. Some bits, really very good. Some stories, because they're chopped between all the different characters, stories they keep going back to, very interesting. There's sort of xenophobic vigilantes who are led by this one man who goes on a tirade saying if we follow the government and go down into the old world war ii bunkers until it's all over by the time we come back up all the other countries will take over taking everything from switzerland so what we should do is wipe them all out now mm. and there's other characters there's a, a man who's just incredibly rich so he thinks that money can buy him out of any situation so he pays a taxi driver to take him to the border and says he'll also pay for his wife and children to go so they can escape as well as him but there's all there's also a sentence it's i've, I've practiced this there are supporters okay. <laughs> supporters of the swiss football team young boys <laughs> I didn't want to say young boys fans. <laughs> fans of um, young boys. Fans yeah. of young, yeah, yeah, any other. I, I did practice, so it did sound right. <laughs> <laughs> and their story, they're, they're going to the match, uh, they're reading about the storm as it's growing, and they're obviously looking to have a bit of a fight. But during the match, the electricity goes off, floodlights go off, and at that point, you're sort of thinking, oh, what's going to happen here? But instead, everyone sort of just shrugs and accepts the fact that the match is over, apart from one bloke who lights a flare. And that's sort of the end of their part of the film. It's mm. it's sort of like they've they've made all these, these 10 directors have made different films on the same theme, but they've all just been put together rather than picking the ones that work. They sort of put the ones that, didn't work so well in there as well just because they've been made mm. which is a shame if it, if it was a film perhaps three or four of the different situations i think it would work a lot better but as it is with so many different ones they keep going back to characters whose stories are you just got no very bland in. so yeah you sit back for a few minutes whilst that's going on and then something more interesting comes back on and you want to see what's happening with them so you get engaged again so mm -hmm. Piercing-wise, you're sort of in and out a bit. But it, overall, I think it is it is worth a watch, but it is frustrating. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's the UK premiere of the film um, when it's shown on Wednesday. It's the first time it's going to get a screen. I mean, it sounds like... Well, the, well, okay, well, the other thing that struck me when I was looking at the um, synopsis for it is you, you see sci-fi, so you think, okay, so it's going to be an allegory for something else. And, you know, you mentioned the word borders and immediately it makes you think, well, it's about immigrants, surely. Is that, does that, is that just part of one story? Is it not there at all? Or? There's sort of one or two stories that do have heavy immigration overtones, sort of. Mm. There's obviously the xenophobic vigilante gang mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the taxi driver is an immigrant who's helping the rich, rich um, Swiss man 
try and get to the border. There are overtones of certain themes throughout, but some I either didn't pick up on or just didn't understand. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the stories they kept going back to, such as there was two sisters in their apartment, their their mother phones them, says she can't get home, and then they're just in their apartment for the rest of the Mm. time. And when the storm starts, they seem to be daubing themselves with some sort of paint or mud and it just it might symbolize something but i just didn't pick up it <laughs> at all <laughs> right okay okay is it the sort of film because you know you guys watch far more world cinema than i do um is it the sort of film you would have picked up normally uh, and looked at or is it were you trying to sort of maybe i don't know find something new to what i suppose you don't really have a type do you not particularly no but mm. it, it mm. the premise the premise did appeal yeah the, the, the fact that it was den, 10 different directors sort of made it <laughs> and it says a new generation of filmmaker so I, I didn't really know what that meant so mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a bit of intrigue in there mm-hmm. and so I'd, uh, I might I might yeah if I'd stumbled across it naturally I might well have watched it but it, yeah. it's it's not one I would uh, watch again. Fair enough, fair enough. So, um, also on Wednesday at 5.30, in the, well, I'm not sure how you pronounce this. It's, um, I hope it's the Cinemobile, C-I-N-E-M-O-B-I-L-E, like Batmobile, but Cinemobile. Um, It's uh, Wednesday at 5.30, is the Next Generation Tiger Shorts which has a total runtime of 88 minutes, but is a series of short films. And uh, Liam, you, you braved this one for us because short film compilations, they, they can be very hit and miss. Um, how, how, how much of it was hit and how much of it was miss? Uh, when I'd, I mean, like you say, its runtime is pretty much an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And it took me about three hours to watch the film because on for long swathes of it, I was finding excuses to hit pause and go and make a cup of tea or go and do something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just to okay. get away from it. Um, which is a little unfair for the whole thing. But like you said, it's 12 different films, all completely unrelated uh, standalone films. There's some very, very good things. One in particular I absolutely loved. But there's a run in the middle of about four or five that are just... I found them unwatchable, virtually, you know? Right. It, it is very hit and miss. It's, um, to quote one of Andy's favourite actors, uh, it's a bit of a box of chocolates, shall we say. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, with Andy's allergy to Tom Hanks there, yeah, being set off. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you, it's like a bag of revels. You shove your hand in and, you know, maybe you're going to catch that weird squashy one that, you know, don't really taste of anything very nice, you know? But uh, I'll run through them quick. I won't go through who directed or wrote them because, uh, to be honest, I didn't bother looking it up here because most of them were, yeah, okay. Uh, Anyway, the premise of this is that no film can run longer than 15 minutes. Most were in the sort of three to seven minute range. And then we had a couple of two that went near the 15. Unfortunately, I mean, that's still quite constrained. Even 15 minutes is is not very much time to tell a a story. No. Um, so if they're like three minutes, even that's that's that seems very tight. Well, it does, but some of these were literally like um, 
I'll start at the first one, which which perfectly examples it. Uh, it's called. I'll, I'll give in the English titles here. Obviously, they're most of them are in German. A couple are in French. Uh, the first one is called Germ Free, and it's like a sci-fi comedy skit type thing. Um, and it yeah. is literally the sort of the sort of length that you would see, like on a like a TV sketch show, you know, mm-hmm. you know like a fast show episode or something. Um, the basic premise is uh, they're in a science lab, fifty-three thousand kilometers or something away from earth in the future and this uh, lab technician is showing this new fella um who is the skinniest man i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and he's got one end of a long neck on him as well uh, so, that's by the by nothing to do with the filmmaking it's just uh you know he was he was man skinny fella <laughs> uh, but anyway uh, he's uh, a new assistant and he's being shown these artifacts from the original earth and one's a toothbrush, and then uh, the next thing along is um, says an, an archaic communications device, and it's like a it looks you can only see it on its side, but it looks about the size of an, an iPhone. And then she starts to speak about the third thing, which is this glass vial of um, just what looks empty, like empty glass vial, when her phone rings. And to be honest, it's exactly the same as the one she's just said is archaic. <laughs> But uh, her phone rings and she goes off to take this call and tells the bloke, throws the instruction, clean the desk. So needless to say, he cleans something he shouldn't, you know, and then hilarity ensues, sort of thing. To be fair, it's not bad. It's a perfectly pleasant way to spend sort of minute and a half, two minutes, something like that. That was okay, that one. Uh, number two on the list was, um, oh yeah, an eye for an eye. Now this one I didn't actually see the point of. Um, right. Okay. I just didn't see the point of it. What it is is um, it's an audio short that's on uh, YouTube of uh, a psychologist's interview with a serial killer, in uh, an American serial killer, and the audio files apparently are on YouTube. And all they've done is sort of do very simple, plain pencil drawings to animate what he's discussing. You know what he's describing. Nothing gory. Nothing over the top. Just purely like uh, when he said he broke into the house and uh, looked at the woman and it shows her. And he said she looked terrified and it draws a picture of a woman looking terrified. I don't actually see what the point of the film is because it's the story isn't theirs. It's a pre-existing, quite old, I think it's 80s, I think, story for the um, the original interview. So I didn't really quite see the point of that film, of what they were doing there, you know. They weren't adding anything to it. They weren't... Well, <laughs> say illustrating it um, it was just very plain simple pencil drawing so didn't see the point of that one number four was um it's called mad love and was a, a fantastic looking animation really top of the range backgrounds and character movements and everything very short story about a fella stealing the mona lisa and getting chased by the police all it felt like to me was something that you would take along to a trade show to show what you could do, you know? Okay. Uh, right. It was. The, do, you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, like a, yeah, a bit demonstrable of sort of. T- yeah. 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 Uh, number five was. Oh, and number five was appalling. Oh, <laughs> this is the one. This, this is the one that got me upset. That part. I was going to say because we've been quite, um, you know. Reasonably positive so far, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So we, we need one that you've not enjoyed to just show we're, we're balanced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this, I hated this. Um, it was <laughs> uh, shot entirely from above, looking down onto a bedsit flat um, so you can see into each room from above. And um, 
all this noise is on the go outside and then you can hear television and news reports that society's breaking down and countries are closing their borders and you can hear riots and everything on the go outside and then you hear this male voice um, telling it the film sorry the film's called emily must wait and it's there you hear this man's voice saying uh, wait there for me, Emily. I'm on my way to you and all this. Yeah. And then it just goes on. You see her wandering about the flat. Then she'll lay down for a while. Then she'll sit up and sort of hug her knees for a while. And this goes on and on. Um, not a lot happens, really. That's about it. Two people break in and rob her of a few bits. And then, But this drags on with nothing happening other than her wandering about her flat. And you're sat looking at that, you know, and it's like watching it's like trying to watch somebody with no thumbs play something like minecraft or sim city you know they can't work the control all they're doing is having the person walk backwards and forwards across the across the little block they're in you know mm-hmm. um so oh, i just really didn't like that so and that was probably the longest film on there i think certainly ran about 13 14 minutes it seems like an odd thing for them to do when you've got a, a, a short movie you know you, you only have a certain amount of time to tell your story so it seems like they've spent a lot of or, or wasted a lot of that time with yeah with, with emptiness with nothing, with nothing yeah i suppose it's supposed to try and demonstrate that the boredom of waiting for someone i suppose is what they're trying to demonstrate but is um, a short film really the most appropriate well yeah <laughs> this is it i mean like i say she's She's there on her own for ages. Then these two break in, uh, steal a few bits, clear off. That's literally in, done in 20 seconds, maybe. Then somebody else tries to break in and she she stabs them. And that's a few more seconds. And then she clears off, obviously gets fed up, can't stay there. This obvious complete devastation and society has completely gone sort of thing outside. You don't see anything other than sort of like flashes in through the window and noises and at one point the window gets put in sort of thing and she clears off then the boyfriend does turn up as a bit of a wander around saying emily and then he clears off and it finishes and um oh i just did not like that one bit at all. It just, and it was it just went it was like i say it was probably 12 13 minutes and god it felt like it you know and mm. it was oh it was a bit brutal and it, this is where the bad run started that was awful. And then number six, uh, I think there's a bit of a problem like Andy had with, is this some sort of symbolism or is it just nonsense mm. sort of thing? Mm. Uh, mm. A film called Eat My Dream, which was sort of thing you expect a film student to do, actually, is uh, you know mess about with the speed at which things are filmed. Some bits go fast, some slow right down. Some look almost um, time-lapsey, some look stop-motion. It's basically just fish going through a processing centre. And the film is messed about with at speeds, as I say. Um, and then you get very intense close-ups at, like, fish skin. And then at fish in a in an aquarium. And he's probably making some point about the mundanity of that life going on while we're processing. It's probably some sort of... I don't know if it's some sort of, like, vegetarian propaganda. It's still something. I don't know. Um, and it's quite frankly, it's so boring. I don't care. <laughs> uh, just not, not for me. That, that one really was pretentious nonsense you know yeah number seven was called pianoid uh, it did make me laugh actually i thought it was really quite funny it was a traditional type cartoon about a musician who does his very best work his piano work uh, lays down the very best he can do uploads it to youtube and no bugger looks at it uh, <laughs> he then uh, sees his pet rabbit fooling about 
films that a bit, puts that up on the, on YouTube, and it uh, proceeds to get like thousands of hits and likes and all that, you know. And it's just um, very funny, very short little comedy, um, little cartoon. Gets a bit mucky as the rabbit decides that he's going to have um, a bit more fun than he should have. Mm. Um, but uh, it's that was very good. Number eight was Eric the Soldier. If they'd made it half the length, it would have been a very good sort of the real genuine intimate thoughts of a young soldier in the German army, sort of worrying about his place in life, saying how much he enjoys the regiment, regimented life in the army, but he feels like he's in the wrong era. This, you know, this sort of thing. Um, that was, I think, that one ran the full fifteen minutes, uh, which spoilt it. Like I said, if they'd had it half the length, it would have been a quite an interesting diversion, but they spoilt it by going way too long with it somehow which in a short film doesn't say much for the idea in, you know, in the original, does it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, now this is one that, oh my God, this made my blood boil, this thing. Oh, this really did upset me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called, What Happens in Your Brain If You See a German Word Like Weltschmerz, which is basically sort of a world weariness type thing. It starts off with um, this bloke sitting in a chair. It, all that happens is you keep getting this voice over the top that sounds remarkably like Stephen Fry. I thought it was him. I sort of hung on to see the uh, credits at the end to see, you know, if it was him, but it wasn't. And they use these camera tricks and lots of stop motion animation, and it's just self-indulgent. Look how in-depth they are. Look how highbrow I am. And it's not. It's just complete nonsense as these four or five words are constantly shouted over the top sort of thing. It really is um, just not for me. Um, oh God, I, I, I don't know if you, how you'd stay through it. I mean, I, I did purely because I have to do this, but it was just hateful rubbish. But surely, surely, this is this the turning point if it can't get much worse than the ones that you've described so far? There must have been a few good ones that followed it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> okay. Number 10 was Shay. That was actually really good, uh, thought-provoking one. I enjoyed that. Didn't think I did at first, and then went back over it. Yeah, it was. It was rather good. What it was was um, an Arabic man in modern Germany, and he's shown sort of leaving his home with his... It looks like his mother and um, younger siblings there. And he goes off to, to try and go to work, and he gets a lot of hassle from neo-Nazi types and only just escapes onto a bus uh, where they're going to attack him and comes home later that night and as you, he walks past you can see there's a like a little tribute being put to somebody who's been murdered on the ground like a photo with some candles around it etc and he stares at it and you get the feeling that it, it may well be someone connected to him nothing said throughout the film it's, a, it's effectively a silent he goes up to his flat and as soon as he goes out on the balcony, he can see the, the same neo-Nazis and they're completely desecrating this tribute. And he goes rushing out with a knife and getting angrier and angrier. And on his way down, he uh, thinks again. And it's almost like the, whether it's the sort of the, the fella that's in the photo of the tribute um, appearing to him. They're not saying anything at all, but just appearing and appearing to him. And you see him as he tries to work out what to do. I actually quite enjoyed that one. I thought that was a nice little thought-provoking one. Very well done. Not heavy-handed at all, which that sort of thing can be. But, uh, no, really quite good. And then uh, number 11 was my absolute favourite. I thoroughly adored this, called Prince Alfred. What it is, is um, it's a little boy wakes up in his bed. Um, he looks at his clock and realises he's dead late for too late for school. He hasn't been woken up. His mum's already gone to work and his father is... Um, 
uh, says his father died years ago. He sets about his day, and it works exactly like you hear his his monologue, his internal monologue. But it's all in the style of it's very much um, a Don Quixote type thing. As he gets up, goes to his breakfast, and uh, he says. As usual, it was the finest pheasant pies with six wine glasses beside it, the finest wines. You know, and he's, he's actually, what he's got is a bowl of cornflakes and a glass of milk sort of thing. Um, and he goes about his day, doesn't bother going to school because he's already late, goes off to find his friend. There's some lovely bits in it. The wording is lovely. I say it's very much Don Quixote in style. He's visited by uh, what he calls the high commissioners from the Ottoman Empire. And it's really just um, his Turkish cleaning lady uh, coming in you know um, he goes off um, and the, the voiceover says that he's gone off on his um, silver armour clad steed and all that and all he's got is one of them little push scooter sort of right, thing okay. yeah. uh, it's an absolutely delightful film I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, best sort of 10 minute type job I've seen ever I think it was absolutely brilliant oh. and the last one was just a few seconds of traditional type um, animation um, it was a funny joke on like animals, predatory animals, arguing about who should pay the, the taxes. It was done like a chat show, a parody of a chat show, who should pay the bill. Um, and need to say the poor sod at the end was the zebra, and uh, he ended up both getting eaten and paying the bill. Uh, so, all in all, it has some very, very good bits, lots of meh bits, and about five hateful, horrible much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Sorry to rattle on, but I had to go through them all just to give you a flavour of them. Yeah, I think that's fair. When you've when you've got a bunch of films that are uh, all, all little short films, we can give them a mention. What else yeah. are we here for if not to talk about them? So well, quite, yeah. that seems fine. Um, we've also got the last film that we've seen that is showing on um, Wednesday, uh, which is Between Sea and Land. It's on at 8pm on Wednesday in the Arts Picture House. And then again, it's showing on Thursday. Uh, the 27th, following day, at quarter to one in the afternoon in the Cinemobile. It's a Colombian film, uh, released uh, last year, but again, I think it's again its first major screening here. And uh, the genre it's listed under on the Cambridge Film Festival website is foreign language and world cinema. I immediately have a thought in my head as to what that means. I'm just, you know, slow-burning drama bit of cinema verite uh andy what w- would that be a correct assumption or or not um the genre i would choose probably be over the top melodrama <laughs> right okay it, it picked up um it was awarded the audience award and two best acting awards at sundance apparently i've got written here on the little press release um Oh, right. So, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, a bit about it then? Um, it's about a man. Well, it, it starts off when he's just a boy, and his his mother notices that comes home one day and his his arms a bit twisted. So she takes him to the doctors, and because they're poor, the doctor tries to send them away. Mm-hmm. Well, the receptionist tries to send them away, but a doctor says, "Right, I'll take a look." And it sort of jumps forward about 20 years where he's this, um, he's a bedridden man still living with his mother and they live in what's called the swamp, which is basically the oceans on one side and then there's a little inlet of land and then they've got their little sort of shack house on the, the bare bit where the mother does all the fishing. And he's got some sort of muscular disease which 
believes in bedridden and having to use um, machines which are in his shack just to keep him alive. He can't really move. He lies contorted and is in a lot of pain, but he's, he's still sort of comes through as, as enjoying enjoying life and having humour. And he's got this um, neighbour who've been friends since they were children and she likes to visit him, but his mother doesn't really approve of her visits. It's sort of the kind of thing, if it was American or English, that you'd see sort of daytime TV on a channel like Movie Mix, <laughs> something <laughs> right. like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's sort of showing how he's coping with his life and his, um, his neighbour. She gets a job at a foundation which sort of looks into different disabilities. And so she's trying to get him help from various places but because the mother sort of disapproves of a close friendship with the son the neighbor's not really able to tell him exactly what she's doing and how far she's getting and all he wants to do is go across this inlet of land and see the sea because he's he's always been well since he was six or seven he's been sort of bedridden because he's hooked up to these machines he can either lie in his bed or sometimes he can sort of get out on the other side of his shack so he can sit, but that way faces the opposite of the sea. He's never really experienced the sea. And um, so every so often, he'll just say to his mother, really want to see the sea. And she'll explain again that he can't. So that it just builds up, whereby the neighbour's trying to get him help, but can't really tell him how much help. And he's just yearning to go and look at the sea and experience the waves. And his mother's sort of caught in between. She tries to look after him as best she can and doesn't want to do anything that would risk harming him, such as trying to move him to the sea. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it builds up and eventually she tries to get a plan together, which means she could get some portable equipment, which means he could go and experience the sea. And, uh, well, we'll not spoil the ending. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But... It, it's sort of what you expect from the start. <laughs> Basically, the whole point of the film, as far as I could tell, was to try and make some people cry. Mm. And it sort of didn't work for me. Although it, it must be pointed out that quite often I have been accused of having psychopathic lack of empathy, <laughs> which probably didn't help with this kind of film. <laughs> yeah, it it does sound very... Like you said, very high melodrama, uh, a bit manipulative. Yeah, the yeah. credit has to go to the lead actor, who was also the writer and producer and director, because he is playing a man with this sort of contorted disease, and he is on screen perhaps ninety percent of the time, and it does come across like he he is bedridden and can't move without pain. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it it wasn't for me at all. I'm sure. It, well, based on various reports and ratings, it it has affected people, but yeah. Well, well, like I say, I mean, it picked up a, a couple of awards, but that's that's not always a true indicator of something's quality, is it? I mean, we've uh, we've seen what's won Oscars and things in the past, so it's no surprise. Okay, so um, moving on, we've got on Thursday uh, again, uh, same day, six fifteen. In the Arts Picture House, a film called Illegitimate, uh, which is a Romanian-Polish-French film. 
which Liam, I think you saw this one. Yeah, I did. Yeah, actually, I watched this last night. Late last night, I saw this one. Actually, yeah, it's I liked it. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I did. I did like this, and it's uh, it's it's going to put a lot of people off when you hear the the subject matters, which are abortion and incest. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I, I, I mean, as I as it started to evolve, I thought, oh my god, what have I got into here? <laughs> but um, that film starts off with a family dinner celebration. Uh, one of the sons has finished his studies and is going out into the big wide world, and they all get sort of slightly tipsy at this dinner. And then one of his daughter-in-laws, one of the main, the father's um, daughter-in-laws, asks him <clears throat> if something she's read online was true, and that's that. Um, in the Ceausescu years, abortion was illegal, and she'd read that he was one of the doctors that would denounce women uh, to the authorities, um, and obviously they would face um, pretty hefty sanctions for, for um, having abortions, illegal abortions. And he not only admits it, but he sort of glories in it, saying, yes, and I was right to, and it's... It's an abomination, and it's this and it's that. And um, needless to say, the younger generation have very different ideas to that and argue back with him. The discussion gets very heated, and he, he blurts out that um, if abortion was legal, you wouldn't be here, your mother wanted rid of you. Mm. Wow, that's a bit of a thing to announce, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, over the dinner table, yeah. Needless to say, it all breaks up from there. They go their separate ways. The father moves out of the house. Uh, moves in with a lover that he hasn't told the family. The, the family's mother had died about 18 months previous. Um, he moves in with his girlfriend, which he hadn't told anybody he had. Family life sort of settles down a little bit with the... There's an older brother and sister, and then a pair of twins who are around late teens, 20 sort of age. And life sort of settles down with the four of them and the older couple's partners in and out of life, this sort of thing. Uh, and then it transpires, it slowly comes to light that the two twins, a male and a female, are are at it. <laughs> is the only way to put it. Um, they say they're very much in love and that it's, it's perfectly natural, but um, let's face it, it's not really, is it? It's not really on that. <laughs> uh, she ends up getting pregnant and the whole film becomes a big... <sighs> It's, I'm probably not making it sound very good. It's very, very intense. The feelings displayed are really very good. It's very, very well acted. Um, and from what little I could find online about it, um, it wasn't actually formally scripted. It was done in... The director told them, uh, this is what happens in this scene. You talk it out, sort of thing, you know? Along the lines of, um, not quite improvised, but along those lines um it's really very very good it's arguing i mean showing the arguments between older generation and younger generation Mm -hmm. it's also um what the the oppression of the ceausescu years have a big bearing on it it's also the morals of the the incest between the two twins yeah that seems like an odd thing to put into this story yeah and it's main it's the main theme of it really is the discovery that they what they have been doing the consequences of her pregnancy and the morals of what's right and what's wrong there's some surprising decisions along the way 
which I don't know would be really true to real life. You can't tell unless you were in that situation. Thank God, mm. I, I guess. Thank God, I never have been. <laughs> never been to me. Uh, especially as I've got two brothers, that would be one of those. Especially the pregnancy bit. Um, but um, so right, we believe you, Liam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I assure you, it is a beer belly and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's actually, like I say, for the subject matter, and it is heavyweight, uh, do not go into this expecting any kind of comic relief whatsoever. It is a heavy film. Uh, but it's a very good one. Uh, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it anywhere near as, um, as much as I did by the end. And you always feel a bit odd using the word enjoy about subject matters like this. But uh, that very good film, certainly glad I saw it. I've seen several Romanian films that I've really liked over the years, so... It is a country I tend to look at for films when I'm looking around for something to watch. And yeah, I would say this is definitely one to see. There's no need to be, like I say, the subject matter would make you a bit concerned. No need to be overly squeamish about it. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all done in adult sort of adult speech sort of thing. There's nothing too over the top either way. Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I'd say. Certainly, I'd say Andy would would quite enjoy this one as well. So speaking of Andy, um, there was a film that uh, will be shown on Thursday at 5.30 in the Arts Picture House, which uh, was called Alba, which I think you were quite fond of. Yes, and I did. I like this one a lot. It's an Ecuadorian film about um, an 11-year-old girl called Alba who Mm -hmm. lives in a, a small house with her mother who is... Sort of for the second time this evening, I'm talking about someone who's bedridden. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> she has a, a nurse who comes in, helps wash her and change her, and Alba sort of helps her to the bathroom and back to bed, but that's about as far as she can go. So Alba's sort of this timid, quiet little girl. She's learned to sort of be quiet whenever she's at home because her mother needs constant rest. When she's at school, she doesn't talk very much. Um, she's sort of an outsider but she she does try and play with the other children but because she's so quiet she doesn't really fit in and then unfortunately one night her mother gets a lot worse and has to go to hospital which leaves Alba having to go and live with her father on the other side of the city who she hasn't seen since she was three and unfortunately he's also quite um quite shy quite embarrassed at having to sort of interact with a child he doesn't really know. So there's the the two of them, quiet, shy people living together and they're sort of trying to get to know each other but it's it's not really happening because neither of them want to start conversations. When they do it's just a couple of words. Um Alba has to move school so she goes to her new school Again, like with her old school, because she's so quiet, she doesn't really have a lot of friends. But she does make friends with one girl, Eva, who invites her to a party. Because of this, the other girls sort of start to accept her. And she sort of grows a bit, sort of matures. She's also at the onset of puberty, so there's a lot of things happening. It's very much a a coming-of-age type of film without being over the top at all it's not sort of american coming of age films where some big incident has to happen it's sort of very a slow process where you watch her get invited to practice a dance routine before going to the party 
and she's she's not very good at dancing. She's not done much dancing, but then you see her go home and practice with the video and get better and better. And then she goes to the party. She has her first kiss. It's I think you were alluding to earlier when you said world <laughs> cinema being right. <laughs> a sort of slow process where there's there's nothing brash about it. There's nothing big. It's just a a simple story. Mm-hmm. And as she grows and accepts herself and accepts her place in life and her and her father do come a bit closer together there's a scene near the end where they go to a beach and they're just sitting side by side and you can see that they are accepting of each other and yeah it's it's really well told the young girl very good at playing someone who is so shy and timid and yeah really recommend that one fantastic Okay, so I think that kind of rounds up everything that we were talking about as um, as being previewed. So we'll move on to some films that have already been shown at the Cambridge Film Festival. And I will move on to one that I've actually seen, <laughs> uh, which was a film called Bodkin Rass, which uh, was sh- it was shown on two days. We were a little bit late with this one. It was shown on Saturday and a Tuesday. Um, just gone. Directed by uh, Akawa Madiri. And it, it's a, technically a Dutch film. It's a, it was from the Netherlands, and it's only short. It's about eighty minutes long, but it's set entirely in this tiny little Scottish town. And some of it is shot in a way that it, it's, it's basically a docudrama. So it follows this guy who um, he looks Asian. I'm not sure if it's ever. In fact, they make a they make a, a, a thing about not revealing where this guy is from. Um, but he's basically an outsider, a foreigner, in this tiny little insular um, Scottish town where nobody ever leaves. And he makes a couple of friends with some of the locals, who but basically bonding over drinks down the local boozer kind of thing. It started off being very... Um, you, you, I couldn't really get into it. I couldn't get into the flow of it. I felt the pacing was a little bit slow... Um, as it tries to be very reflective without putting any narrative forward um, because it's just showing you lots of shots of this little town you're meeting the characters who who actually live in this place but then you start to learn more about one of the characters there called Eddie Patton who is a guy there who plays himself and essentially he's a father of two and both of his kids are are dead uh, through various different means and so he's this lonely guy, and he sort of takes uh, Sorab Bayat, who's the actor, takes his character Bodkin under his wing and tries to give him work, tries to introduce him to the, the people, tries to integrate him. And slowly you kind of drip-fed little bits of information about why uh, Bodkin is in this town. Why would this stranger... Because no one really questions him on this. Because I don't think necessarily it's important. It it has that narrative there, and it's what drives the um, drives you to keep watching rather than like waiting till fifteen minutes have gone and think, well, I've seen everything this little thing's got to show me now. So, what's the point? But it it puts this story in there, and it's it's quite absorbing. You feel like you're really getting to know these people. They because it's a docudrama, it feels quite genuine, and. Um, it hasn't overly dramatised the the, the the characters, I don't think. But yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. I loved the the, 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 the way it portrayed the people. 
Uh, it looked fantastic. It, it loses its way very slightly towards the end because it tries to neatly wrap up this little story of theirs by kind of very abruptly flipping everything on its head. But otherwise, I was very pleased. I I was shocked even. Because you do go into these films sometimes a little... Well, completely blind for me. I wasn't sure what to expect at all. And particularly after the first 10 minutes of very slow-moving, lingering shots of things. I thought this is going to be a bit of a slog. But it wasn't. So... I'm sorry that people listening, you will have missed it. Um, but I'm sure you'll be able to catch it at some point, either worth finding through DVD or if it ever gets added to, to Netflix. It was a Bodkin Frass. Very good little movie indeed. And um, Andy, there was one more that you've seen that has already been shown at the festival. Uh, one of Us, which was shown on Tuesday. Yeah. A little Austrian film, I believe. It was, it was, it was a, this, I think, I've read it just ahead of Alba. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's about, well, Alba was 11, these are sort of a bit older, 14-year-olds, mainly centering around a boy called Julian, who's in a, a little urban area of Austria, I don't think it ever specifies exactly where, but the only thing to do there is hang around the supermarket. <laughs> right. It's a huge supermarket. Obviously, everyone shops there. The kids hang around just a bit at the end of the car park where they keep the trolleys and they just hang around, do some drugs, smoke a bit, do some graffiti, occasionally go into the supermarket. (laughs) Not a lot to do in that town at all. And he makes friends with Margot, who's a 16-year-old who's just out of prison. And there's another character whose name I can't remember, but... He's a bit older, and for some reason he hangs around with all these 14 and 15, 16-year-olds. It never explains why. He's the sort of character who, if he was hanging around with people his own age, he'd be the sort of runt, so he hangs around with people younger. And yeah, it shows, obviously, the children having nothing to do, trying to make things to do, find things to entertain themselves. And eventually, Julian and Marco break into the supermarket and there are unfortunately tragic consequences which isn't a spoiler because the first shot you see in the film is a kid lying in the aisle of a supermarket (laughs) (laughs) sort of gives it away at the start but it shows you how they get to that point um the supermarket oh i sound like a dick here (laughs) those people who say oh new york wasn't just uh, the setting it was a character in (laughs) itself Well, the supermarket is really well used. It, it uses the, the sort of regimented setup of a supermarket with all the aisles, the blocks of gaudy, vibrant colours as it scans along. It just, yeah, it's a simple story of sort of friendship, trying to show off, trying to find something to do in a sort of a town where there's nothing. And the the backdrop is just this supermarket which has... A really annoying manager and all these colours and lights and it, it keeps centering back on that point. It was really, really enjoyed that one. The story and the cinematography, the setting, it all just worked. That's really cool. I mean, if you were pushed when you had to pick a favourite that you've seen um, of these uh, screeners that we, we, we were sent, these online world cinema screeners because we haven't actually talked about everything we're going to have a couple bits and bobs put onto the website in the next sort of few days 
Um, but if you had to, if you had to pick one that was your favourite, which, which one would you both go for? Yeah, mine would be one of us just ahead of Alba. Yeah, those last two that you talked about. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, mine would probably be illegitimate. Right, mm-hmm. the Romanian one. The Romanian one. Yeah, um, it is heavy going, but it's a good story. It's a bit different. I haven't seen one that covered quite the same thing without being pervy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, good film. Worth a watch. Right. Seems like a, we've had a decent haul, actually. Yeah. Seems like we've generally gotten away with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, not too bad There's at one all. more that I'm going to recommend, Liam, that you do watch this. And Andy as well, actually. It was it was really good. But I know we've had a chat about this in the past, Liam. Uh, Revolution, New Art for a New World, which was shown on Saturday. It's a documentary. It's about... The art and the artistic movement, the avant-garde movement around the Russian Revolution, how that movement, those artists, kind of led to the the revolution and then how they were used in sort of propagandist terms after the revolution as well and sort of the flip side of that and then how much of what they create is art and how much of it is is just propaganda? Are they doing it because they have to? Uh, and then you get to learn about how they sneak all these their own um, messages into the art. It was the only way they were allowed to be creative. And so they push it to the extremes, which is why you get all these radical ideas through it. Uh, it, it was really good. It was, it was narrated by um, someone called Margie Kinmouth. Kinmouth, sorry who um, is English. So it's it's almost all in English. There is some, some Russians who they interview. A lot of the Russian people they speak to speak in English anyway, but some of them they have subtitles. But it doesn't, doesn't really make a difference. It's all about the art and the, the kind of uh, appreciation for it. And they try to uh, either understand it or show you interpretations of art from that period. And some of it is very divisive amongst the professional art critics critics that they talk to and the curators um, and other artists uh, but also amongst people who've who've seen it and so there's um, yeah it's fantastic it will almost definitely turn up on BBC Storyville series at some point if not just broadcast on, on BBC4 it's got that high brow vibe to it I know Liam you were talking about a similar kind of documentary you've seen recently and enjoyed yeah I mean I this it that sounds like absolutely bang up my street so I think I've uh, Russian history is something I've always been interested in I've studied quite mm-hmm. a lot and um, I've come to appreciate art quite late in life uh, sort of thing um, I've come to finding it very very interesting and there was one on recently about um, modern art which is something I do struggle mm-hmm. with um, and how uh, it was still, again on BBC4 so uh, that was you know uh, what modern art actually is and why not the uh, why you shouldn't be afraid of it, basically, I think, yeah. is the, the general. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, BBC4 is a superb source for any um, any documentary style anyway. Yeah. But, uh, so I will definitely be seeing this one you've, you've recommended. 100%. I do really recommend it. It's it's really good. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that about does it for all the films that we're going to talk about. There were a couple that we, we haven't had time to, to chat about today. I saw Light Years, which... I'm glad we haven't had time to talk about pull it that way. 
<laughs> there was um, a couple of films as well on the other side. I think you saw Andy. Yeah, yeah, almost very good. Just frustrating at the end. Croatia's entry for best foreign film Oscar is what the uh, press release says. So best film from from Croatia that year. <laughs> it was almost good and uh, Ukrainian sheriff one that you've seen Liam that we've not had time for as well yeah uh, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was okay but a lightweight documentary that should have gone a bit deeper but uh, it was okay and there was a couple of others as well so maybe we'll get something put up onto the website in writing but um, otherwise yeah a couple of films that people should definitely check out before they leave the Cambridge Film Festival this year so mm-hmm. thanks very much for joining me guys really enjoyed it and it was a pleasure as always cheers The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.